0: Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Searles. Welcome to the All Creation podcast. I am executive editor and co founder of All Creation, and then the editor of this issue, Envisioning Transformation. Today, I get to talk with one of my favorite mentors. There is a whole lot I can say about Marge Barlow, but this will be a brief version of a very large, uh, very long intro. Marge Barlow grew up in rural West Texas in the 1930s and 40s on a farm reared in a life that most Americans would consider today to be hard and fragile. She went on to become a leading therapist in Texas in the 1960s into the 1990s and eventually became known around the world in her own humble way. And she's still active in many projects today. Marge is most famous professionally for leading the culture change team and the culture change aspect at Interface Carpets, a giant international industrial carpet company that is the only company to really take seriously the idea of becoming net regenerative and eliminating its environmental impacts in the 1990s and 2010s. Maybe a couple of others are starting to join in now. Microsoft and Apple are starting to do some things that are pretty exciting. But Marge was really at the root and the foundation of this historic change in the way we think about industrialization and what it requires to move beyond creating toxic and destructive impacts on our life support system and that's how I know her as um I first sort of became aware of her as a leader in this pioneering space which began I believe close to her retirement years and then uh, the founder of the company held on to her for as long as he could into her retirement um, she's also I'm going to keep going for just a little longer here she's also a leading feminist i think historically she started the possible woman in the 1990s she started the pocket grandmother in her 90s and Faith and spirituality have been foundational to her identity, to her life experience, all the way throughout. So I'm hoping to hear from Marge today about kind of her perspective throughout her life. I would describe Marge on this particular day at this moment in time, uh, which is to say she's always changing and evolving and transforming in part as a spiritualist, therapist, mom who raised five children beloved friend to hundreds of people locally and around the world, a great chef, and a uh, a pocket grandmother to me for sure. And so Marge, welcome to the All Creation Podcast. Thank you very much for being here today.
1: Thank you for, my goodness, Chris, you are <laughs> um, unbelievable the way you encapsulated my life there. I can't I don't know that woman that you just described. I'll put it that way. (laughs) But yes, it was true. I was born in 1929, January, uh, the year the Great Depression started. Wall Street crashed. And I laugh about thinking I caused it because, you know, (laughs) life revolves around every baby. But growing up, on the plains of Texas in the Dust Bowl area with no indoor plumbing, no electricity, no, certainly we didn't even have a radio. So you had to make your own uh, entertainment. And we did that with music. Mother played the piano at church and also for her family gatherings. And um, life, was what it was i didn't know anything different so the history of my religious life started on in, in a little community called owens south of rawls which is east of lubbock <laughs>
0: two small towns <laughs> and, i don't know of in west yeah, Texas right. today yeah you've
1: heard of lubbock though and yeah, uh, yeah. In Crosby County, it was. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, the the life was, was hard because it was sandstorm, dust bowl. And um, the men of the community, there would have been about 25 or 30 families who settled that one community. And uh, they got together and built a community auditorium so the Baptists would meet on one Sunday and the Methodists would meet the next. The Church of Christ, which was the third group, uh, met every Sunday afternoon. And uh, so those were the three religions. I never heard of the Catholic Church and the brand of Baptists that that I uh, was born into was fundamental Baptist, it was not even Southern Baptist. So very, very um, conservative and lots of judgment. We as females were not allowed to wear slacks, certainly not shorts (laughs) and uh, yeah, lots of (laughs) restrictions. Uh, Yet they let me have my first date, would you believe? uh to go to church on a sunday night with calvin miller in his pickup and would you believe i was 11 years old wow <laughs> but that's because they skipped me in school i knew how to read and write mother was a teacher so was, when i
0: was the nature of a date slightly different also uh, just to uh, sort of check in on that for the gen z kids that might be listening you uh, be horrified they, right now? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, the farm community um, majored on uh, weddings and uh, family beginnings. So everybody, when I went into first grade, um, uh, every ch- every girl had a boyfriend.
0: <laughs> wow, okay. So it really was focused in that direction from the beginning. Very much. Yeah. Very much. Okay. Heterosexual.
1: Heterosexual yeah
0: proliferate and build the farm and the community yes
1: yeah just like you bred cattle and so on and i had skipped grades so uh because i already could read and write when i got to school and so they put me in the second grade immediately and then the third and fourth grade met in the same room so i did both those grades at the same time Uh, Consequently, uh, skipping ahead, I graduated from high school when I was 15 and uh, went immediately to college because I had read a catalog. I ordered a college catalog. West Texas State in Canyon was my college of choice Mm. because my grandparents, uh, the mother's people, lived in Canyon and had moved there specifically so their children could go to college. So the Kiker clan was more in the nature of higher education and uh, pursuit of learning, whereas the McNeely's, which was my father's group, were uh, more earthy. And uh, my daddy was a carpenter as well as a farmer, and he was the bookkeeper at the gin. So uh, that first date that I had was with the son of the manager of the gin, (laughs) <laughs> and the
0: J I N, the gin,
1: gin uh, uh, cotton gin. Uh, oh, okay, gin.
0: right. Yes. Okay, yeah, See, and, uh,
1: yeah. The oh, crops oh, that we you. grew were cotton and uh, grain. And my daddy taught me how to drive the tractor by the time I was 11. Uh, actually, when I was six years old, he Said, get over here, honey, and uh, drive this car to the house. You and he put the Model A Ford in first gear, and uh, he said, "And I will, uh, I'll get there ahead of you." He had the team of horses with the wagon, and he said, "You steer the car." And I, so I got on my knees and took the wheel of the Model A Ford and kind of did broad S's all the way down the turn row to the house and he raced the horses ahead and stopped the car, turned the key off. So that was my first driver's ed, six years old. And, wow. and then he paid me 50 cents a day to drive the tractor for the men to head maize or to pick cotton and put uh, bundles of feed in the wagon. And so I was a farm hand uh, early on, but Was that
0: also when you were about six that you started working for pay on the farm?
1: Uh,
0: Or a little later? No,
1: more more like when I was 10. I was, uh, uh, well, at six, I was turning the cream separator, which was really hard.
0: You you probably had lots of jobs that you weren't paid for.
1: Well, there was much to do. Uh, We'd gather up the eggs every day I did. And uh, um, not much recreation. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I left when I was 15 and never went back to my parents' house again. Mm. Uh, And again, I had read the catalog and could see that I could get out of college in three years if I went in the summer. So, uh, And what happened, I was at West Texas State in Canyon. And my parents wrote me a letter. They didn't call or come uh, and inform me. They had sold the cotton farm and were moving to Westlaco, Texas, to farm grapefruit. And uh, that I would be transferring either to Texas College of Arts and Industries in Kingsville or to Sul Ross in Alpine, whichever was closer to Westlaco. Now, if you know Texas geography, uh, Alpine is 500 miles from Westlaco. Texas is a big state. And Kingsville was 100 miles. So, obviously, I end up in Kingsville, Texas.
0: Okay. I've and always I wondered was... how that happened.
1: That's how it happened. Yeah, And it was um, January of 1945 that I um, moved to Kingsville. 40 miles from Corpus Christi on the coast. Okay. And, and it's the home of the famous King Ranch, the largest ranch in the world at one time. And so I lived in Kingsville. Uh, and my parents, oddly enough, moved eventually from Weslaco to King's Land, which is the one you're referring to, close to Austin. Yeah. But in This was World War II time. Uh, There were very few male students on either West Texas campus or Texas College of Arts and Industries. It's now known as Texas A&M. It was Texas A&I when I went there. And a returning World War II veteran when the war was over saw me playing the piano at the Baptist church and uh, said, that's the one I'm going to marry. And I laugh because I had overheard my father talking to my mother when I was a child. And I tell people, be careful how you talk around your children, because I heard him say, I hope our children marry people with short noses. I'd like to breed out these long noses. (laughs) I took that in my mind as gospel and, and I knew he had to be Baptist so here was a Baptist with a short nose check, and a, check yeah he had a degree in um, um, chemical engineering and had come back and was teaching uh chemistry laboratories um while he figured out what he was going to do
0: and this is roughly nineteen fifty.
1: No, this would have been 1945, when I'm still barely 17 years old. Wow.
0: And (laughs) and that field is at the beginning of this enormous explosion in terms of where America's going, where the world economy is going. Exactly.
1: Yes, plastic was... About to happen. (laughs) Yes. In fact, uh, after we married uh, James Robinson, my first husband... He actually went to work for Selenese and was good friends with the eventual president of Selenese. So both had been chemical engineers. But uh, on our little short honeymoon, oh, by the way, I told him I couldn't marry him until I graduated. And uh, he said, okay, and waited until I graduated on a I think a Monday morning, and we got married the next Sunday. And uh, I I now am eighteen years old, so I have my BBA. I was going to be a secretary because for females in nineteen forties, you could be a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. It never occurred to me to think about being a county judge or. Um, any kind of leadership position the restrictions for females were such that you stayed inside the lines and on our short honeymoon up to Kerrville Texas uh James asked me how many children do you want <laughs> and I said oh four two girls two boys he said okay I said okay And so we married in 1947, right after I got my degree. And then um, we had a girl in 1953, 1950, a boy in 53, a girl in 56, a boy in 59. Two girls, two boys, just like. And on the way, he had earned his Ph.D. in quantum physics. Wow. uh, He was a Baptist deacon quantum physicist if you put that together
0: (laughs) i can't i I think all that's coming back together for people in a way now yeah if i just interrupt on that note i was speaking with um the other mentor that i'm going to speak with is i haven't Uh told you about jimmy calhoun who Uh is um among other things was one of the most influential bass players of the 70s like Uh literally literally changed music and Uh um and so we were let's see we were talking about i just lost my train of thought um, what you just said. Um,
1: uh, the the explosion of qu- quantum physics.
0: Uh, well, so, so this this interesting idea of a, as you said, a Baptist in that you know highly scientific uh, space. I was saying yes. with with Jimmy, you know, who's a musician uh, and now a pastor for 30, 40 years. The thing about science is, so far, it's it's denied the presence of the mystery you know we can't explain how life comes into existence how it forms its material self we call it photosynthesis but obviously there's something before that that creates some kind of intelligence that creates a body so we call that spirit you know it's an animation it's sort of as best we can do and then when that leaves a life form that thing is no longer functional so you know it's longer contributing from a material perspective so science is really just always about quantifying materialism but we live in a world that comes from some other place to create materialism. And that's part of this transformation. I think that we need to make is, is really understanding that. So science, perhaps from a, you know, um, a religious Baptist, you know, and say, well, this is how we're measuring the things that we can understand that are quantifiable inside of, you know, the same sort of native American kind of language of this great mystery of existence. You know, materialism is not everything. Clearly. Emotions are pretty damn important right now, you know, and, in the human sphere, for instance. So. Yeah. so anyway, I, I yeah,
1: <clears throat> well, I can I think see that was, working
0: together really well at that time.
1: Well, I can think of a kind of a three-legged stool with art and science and religion as the legs of that stool. My first husband, with his. Growing up Baptist, and uh, he was a leader in the Kingsville Baptist Church. Um, he um, he had some difficulties with his theoretical world of quantum physics, and he felt like he was losing his measuring stick <laughs> that he wanted um, he wanted absolutes. And with quantum physics, uh, and as you know, with the double slit experiments and the uh, cons, uh, when you get to the quantum world, you really have to take a look at your belief structure. And I think that uh, was hard for him. Can I ask Marge
0: uh, to interrupt how did how did he perceive that or how do you perceive that? And and I'll just offer that I perceive it when you see those videos, you know, nowadays, that you can look at it and go, Well, those part those little particles have a mind of their own. You know, they're behaving. I don't know what that is, but
1: they are behaving. Yes, there's
0: something spiritual there, there's some identity there, there's some behavior there. It's not just, you know, two bump into each other.
1: Yeah, Einstein talked about spooky action at a distance. And he himself couldn't quite resolve it. So there are many mysteries that, uh, and with this newest telescope uh, taking us further and further into the universe, um, it's a little hard to hold on to localized belief structures as we had in a simplistic. I remember in my early childhood, my step-grandmother was... um, uh, my Sunday school teacher, and she, uh, I was five years old when this story happened. Uh, and she was talking about hellfire because <laughs> she was going to scare us all into uh, becoming Christian. Those were the days when you walked the aisle and, and, um, So I, in my five-year-old mind, I piped up and said, well, it wouldn't matter so much. Your body would burn up and it'd be over. And she said, oh, no. (laughs) God gives you a permanent body. (laughs) So she kept my fear of hell alive at age five. Um,
0: Have you heard the George Carlin joke? God loves you. But if you, you know, don't obey. (laughs) Yeah. Ill. be tortured forever <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, So yes I grew up with a mortal fear of hellfire and scared uh, much of my because I couldn't imagine and I didn't realize then that I was literalizing the pronouns. I couldn't hear she anywhere in and of course the leadership of the church was all male so that kind of now takes me into uh with the death of the um, baptist husband
0: which was about 1958 is that right or 60 uh, no not not 58 60,
1: 60. 62, 62. Yeah.
0: okay yeah. sorry about that thank you
1: We were on that three-year plan. We got married three years later, the first child, three years later, the second, third, fourth, and three years after the fourth child, he died. So it was like um, there I was with four little children and uh, excuse me, I have a kind of raspy throat Um, to my astonishment. I realized I had thought of the PhD he was earning as ours, because I had uh, sus- supported him.
0: So ask about that. You, you just mentioned that uh, the leadership in the church was all male, and my brain immediately went, you know, leadership everywhere was all male at that time. Right. So yeah. it, was that part of that kind of social construct that you support your husband and you guys gain together? And
1: oh yeah, and yeah, that you're got
0: a- torn away in this moment. That that belief or that social construct.
1: And I was so naive. I had suspended my life to have these four children and to get him to the PhD so that we could live uh, our life. And the PhD died when he died. It was like some part of my brain just didn't, didn't comprehend. So... I had some good counseling during that grief stage. And the first Christmas, he died in July. I, I had come to the conclusion, talking to my counselor, that I probably wanted to marry again because I was a bit overwhelmed. My parents helped me, but uh, it was uh, not easy to have these three, six, nine, and 12 aged children. And not have a career. I was the principal of the Baptist Day School at that particular time.
0: This is and, at a, this interesting moment where women didn't really have careers yet either, right? In, uh, in uh, white America, much less the rest of the world.
1: Exactly. But I could supplement our income by teaching music at the Baptist Day School and then eventually becoming principal of it. And I think they made me principal of that day school after he died as a way of increasing my salary. I was the church organist and the principal of the day school. So I had a job that paid a small amount, but not enough to support four children. And there had been a little pension from his having been a lieutenant in the Air Force during. World War II but I thought I need a husband to help me with these children (laughs) and uh, so I made up
0: your farm practicality came came in handy exactly
1: yes yes I needed help and uh, I made up a Christmas card that that year with me and the four children I cleaned them up and took them to a good photographer and, and I laughingly say that was my first Marketing campaign. That Christmas card was my brochure advertising me and these kids are for sale. And nobody came. <laughs> Thank goodness. So, yeah. So the next year, I decided, as I mentioned, I had had some good counseling and I decided I could do that I, and that I would like to do that. I loved people, had always worked in some form. With people, and so I decided I would take the necessary foundation courses and get a master's degree in counts in psychology and become a counselor. And I knew that I could be a school counselor and raise children and have my summers off and so forth. And so that's I went in to sign up for counselor training. And the man who was head of the program was Dr. Paul Barlow, and he was a bachelor. No kidding. Yes. So it took him two hours to figure my credits, and we had a date within a month after that. And he took me to a play in Corpus Christi, and he had a red Bonneville convertible, and Oh, and here's a story.
0: <laughs> and no advertising required.
1: Right. <laughs> and he asked me for a date on a Saturday night and I said, well, I'm going to Austin for to a ball game. I had a I did have another man I was dating. He was a Baptist and it seemed logical um that he could maybe be so so I I had two men.
0: Two suitors. And was Baptist uh, culture and, and sort of the institution of the church still very central to the whole your whole life? Oh,
1: I'm still a church organist. and. Uh,
0: but Paul was outside uh, of that community at that time.
1: Yeah, he was Missouri Synod Lutheran. And by the way, my brother had volunteered for the mission field. So my only sibling spent his whole life as a Baptist missionary in Africa and Mongolia. And he lives today here in Austin in the Buckner retirement home.
0: Forgot that. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So here I'm going on this date with this Baptist. And uh, Paul said, what are you going to do with the children? And I said, well, I'm going to take them down to Wesselcoat to stay with my parents. He said, may I do that? And I said, well, yeah. So he made a cold call in his red convertible with four children in Westlake. with my parent, parents and, um, and furthermore went back and picked them up at the end of the weekend. So he, he won my heart because he was good with children and, and, uh, and he had also been in the Nebraska Human Resources Foundation work with early beginnings of positive psychology. And out of it came the Clifton Strength Finder. He, he was good friends and a colleague with Don Clifton, the late CEO of Gallup. So he introduced me to positive psychology and strength-based psychology and he was very good with the four children yeah friend to them all four so i got the degree and the husband about the same time
0: <laughs> okay let's let's hit a pause button there to uh sort of put time markers here for the or, uh chronology for the audience again so you're born in 29 in rural west texas raised in a um You would say conservative, Christian, farm-based reality. Then end up in, ultimately, um, Austin area, married. And at that point, you're still very involved, which we don't have time to go into in this interview, but um, very, very involved in the church, I know, because you were at First Baptist Church, where my dad was then later, 20 years later.
1: Such a coincidence.
0: Yeah, incredible.
1: The Um, theology that Carlisle Marnie brought was, was... such a breath of fresh air and oh my goodness
0: yes for baptists and southern baptists and, and you know central texas baptist carl Marney was the guy and you were there during that yeah. con- sitting in those yeah. pews
1: oh n- well actually we were in the choir
0: literally in the choir we
1: both were yeah uh, even though i didn't have a good voice but we had been always in the choir and we taught sunday school at first baptist yeah
0: i want to come back to all that in a future thing because that uh, to me having grown up then you know born in 71 and you're there uh yeah. 18 years earlier something like that that's yeah. so central geographically in austin and the university and all that stuff it's like to me the culture that you all matured into at that time i benefited from
1: mm-hmm. and very it's good. very
0: yeah very much why i do what i do now but that's for another conversation so you're there in the in austin in the 50s yeah um, well
1: um uh... Quick coincidence Please. there, Alan Shivers was the governor at that time, and he was James's Sunday school teacher at First Baptist.
0: Yes, that that uh, classroom is still named, I think, after him, Alan Shivers. <laughs> and it says something like, you know, great men walk through these doors over that classroom. And yeah, it's a yeah. little bit egotistical for the modern culture, to say the least. But there's also this um, spirit of trying to accomplish great things together. That seems to be kind of absent in current culture, maybe where transformation should go. So the thing I want to sort of emphasize to the audience is, um, you know, you really don't just represent, you were very much a part of a a transformational time coming out of the Depression into World War II and out of all that into then the consumer economy of uh, America and so forth, the desegregation, these feminist movements and so forth. At the same time, you were even more involved On The sort of cutting edge, I think, of where thinking has been going about what is reality and how do we make ourselves healthy and and sort of positive, successful people. So James, you know, very much on the cutting edge of how to understand the material nature of reality. And then Paul, um, the Paul that I knew was ultimately engaged in child therapy, play therapy, because it has such a central importance to how well we can deal with adult life. Right. So to me, the point of that, emphasizing that to the audience is that you are now kind of in your life story to some degree, rooted in several ways in very deep kind of relationships with what it means to, you know, be alive and do things. And people are, many people are now coming into some of these awarenesses. You know, quantum physics has been an exciting conversation for gen millennial or whatever, gen Y, the millennials, you know, that's like very recently kind of like a cool thing. So. Um, can you lay out a little bit more the sort of since then these reference points where, so you and Paul are married in Kingsville and, um, you spend 25, 30 years rooted in that area around Corpus Christi Mm -hmm. and was, was religion still a part of things? Was it sort of in the mix And I I don't mean to get too personal, I'm just trying to get a a reference to, because of the the rest of that question is, and then you're in a new place now, I know, from where you were then, because that was a very transformational time. That's when feminism really began, I assume. I would love to hear that kind of chronology.
1: Yeah. Uh, What happened with that shift from the Baptist boyfriend to Paul, um, which, by the way, I tell people, don't link up with someone that you're not sexually attracted to uh that's a root and an absolute in my work with marriage um has to be there that uh yeah and so i'm more attracted to paul and he's a missouri synod lutheran (laughs) so we go ahead and there's
0: trouble in river city
1: Oh, yeah. And, of course, my Baptist pastor uh, would gladly have baptized Paul and taken him in, but he was not going that direction. And we lived across the street from the Methodist pastor, and their children played with uh, my children, and and, uh, he saw an opportunity. So, uh, by the way, Paul on our honeymoon said, how many children do you want? And I said, none. (laughs) And then we- Good for now, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but we miraculously ended up having a child after we were married six years. And I was 41 and he was 43. Uh, So I'm on a a 20-year plan with the children. And of course he wanted the child baptized and the Methodist pastor gladly accommodated that and took in the whole family. (laughs) So we became Methodists. (laughs) To my mother's happiness, she had grown up Methodist. Then I began, that Methodist pastor, his name was Bruce Galloway, and he saw a need in the community for a counseling agency. And by that time, I had finished my degree and had um, uh, uh, been a high school counselor a couple of years and then quit when we couldn't handle the drug problems. Paul was the essentially the dean of students on campus. I was the high school counselor in charge of discipline. And we were over our heads. We did not know what to do. Our daughter was smoking pot with college students. She was a high school student and and we threw in the towel and I quit. We both quit our counseling jobs to regroup and go back home. And um, that's when the new child came along. And so there I was with now five children. And he went back to being a full professor, just teaching. And we began to study the culture and try to figure out what was going on. This was uh, days of hippies and uh, all of the long hair. and I know the university president's son was good friends with our son and He said, cut your hair, it's my way or the highway. And the child took the highway. And we didn't lose our children, but we had to build a pretty tall wall around our little abode.
0: One interesting reference maybe for the audience too about how, uh, that I think of, is uh, about how sudden and radical the shift was, is I think nowadays people think of someone like Stevie Wonder, for instance, an artist who emerged in the late 60s, mid 60s to late 60s, yeah, and ruled the 70s as a very saintly figure rightly because he's done so many wonderful things yeah. about love yeah um, but in the interviews that you can read with him in the early 70s he talks about drug use in the same way people talk about drinking water you know it was like it was yeah. completely immersive uh for a lot of people at that moment it's just sort of arrived and people were into it and they realized oh yeah you know
1: Yeah, and uh, that's, um, we, we had to kind of pull in, and out of that period where I went back home to be mother in charge of five children, and Paul went back to the classroom, we spent many, many hours in discussion with our children, lots and lots of family around the table talk. And About the same time the pastor of that Methodist church wanted to start a community counseling agency. And so he saw that I was not employed and he, so Paul became first president of the board and I became the first counselor of the Clayburg County Family Guidance Services. (laughs) And I started a whole new life. As a counselor, uh, I'm sure those First Navy families. The, there was a naval base in Kingsville, and I did marital counseling without knowing what I was doing.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious about the what that really looked like and felt like in that time, especially compared to today. It kind of reminds me of uh, yoga studios or something like that. That people yeah, initially yes. are like, "What the heck is that?" <laughs> right now, it's common. Yeah.
1: Right. So we had a sliding fee scale, and my best friend had also uh, earned her master's in psychology with Paul's being her major professor. So she and I put together this community agency, and she was the first president of the board and, and on and on. And she went on to move to Austin and have a successful private practice And I went on to create a private practice in Corpus Christi at the Psychological Service Center. And that's how I established myself that way. But all along the way, most of my clientele was female. It would be the female who would bring the husband in for marital counseling. And he would grudgingly kind of tag along. Uh, I'll never forget one man. Uh, I asked, what do you want? And she said, well, I just want him to say I love you every now and then. And I looked at him and said, Are you willing to do that? He said, Well, sure. And I said, Would you do it now? And he said, Here? <laughs> I said, Yes. He looked at her and said, Well, I love you.
0: <laughs>
1: and she cried.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So, oh, yeah. yeah. But
1: I I did.
0: Oh, man.
1: Yeah. I I started uh, studying group therapy and uh, marital therapy and went off to Western Institute of Group and Family Therapy in California and um, learned my craft. And I apologize to those early people because I uh, kind of practiced on them. But I love people. I love to know their stories. I think that's all we have, Chris, is our story. And everybody's story is very sacred to me. So I try to help them join what I call the AAA and become the author, the actor, and the audience of your life story. You're the only one who will watch your story from birth to death. And uh, so I help people get their story into a form they can live with. That's basically what I do. And and you really mean that
0: as a, as a therapist, as a counselor, you're helping people to sort of uh, uh, maybe my a word for that would be come into alignment with the, their own truth.
1: Exactly. Uh, with the belief that each human being is unique and very significant. Uh, we are God in action. (laughs) And it is our sacred privilege to travel the lifetime. I think learning to love, I don't know any other way to put it, except that the basic um, curriculum for your life story is to learn how to love. And that's easy to do, when they act right
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you have plenty of funds (laughs)
1: yeah yeah but loving people when they aren't acting the way you want them to that's a stretch and so i help people stretch a lot yeah
0: (laughs) can you talk about in this whole frame and context can you talk about then sort of how you've seen belief change maybe for yourself or for society or religion or sort of all the above and
1: well, having been schooled in the fundamentalist uh, religion of with the Baptist world and then moving to the Methodist world, and then I was on staff at an Episcopal church and eventually really loved that uh, ritual and especially was a student of Carl Jung, who... His father, you know, was a minister. And I became a a pretty avid student of all religions, uh, Sufi and Sikh and uh, all kinds of different uh, pathways. And I had a Baptist missionary friend who was in India, and he said he um, couldn't fault his A housekeeper for her duty and her religion she prayed five times a day and he said in many ways she was more devoted and religious than we were absolutely yes he he had a a very deep change of his conviction and his belief and actually um, uh, went a different direction but I got to know a lot of people who are leaders and kind of became the unofficial chaplain of the Methodist women ministers in South Texas. I would go up to Kerrville and have retreats with them. Which is now
0: also a very common practice that that, uh, clergy takes time to recharge. And I think that that began in this era as well, probably. Yeah. For the audience's benefit, with people like you. Yeah.
1: And my meandering path then when we moved to Austin after Paul retired, by the way, Paul became a play therapist after he retired as a professor and had an office across the hall from mine. So he saw children and I worked with couples and we would do weekends with couples and uh, had a thing we called uh, couples night out at our home where we would serve a meal and uh, have some kind of, uh, we had chemistry and uh, con conversation it started all started with the communication and whatever the other one was caring uh, those were our subjects for four week four dates a year to save your marriage so they would come to our house on saturday night and we'd have a, a lot of fun
0: that's really beautiful
1: serve a good meal and have a lesson and lots of talk yeah uh, so out of all of that, when we moved back to the Austin area, we sort of sampled a lot of different um, Christian religion churches ended up in Wimberley at Unity Church. Uh, the pastor there had been had grown up Baptist, and uh, we kind of hit it off with her and I was on the board for a while um so that's uh, from fundamentalist baptist all the way through methodist and episcopal and uh, uh,
0: it's a good uh, gamut yeah. but also um uh, to jump in uh, you know now you are um your work with gene um your your passion yeah. about these areas that i i don't feel comfortable talking about because i haven't experienced them yet but yeah. past life regression um some some other things that have to do with deeply spiritual concepts that you you may don't have to talk about now. But um it is kind of interesting well, just to point out, you know, these these um this in a way, this integration of ministries, you could say, you know, to, to bail yourself out of a very difficult time with four children and needing to get restarted with a income and all this stuff. You figure out a way to help other people that helps you and and everything. And and then you and Paul from different religious backgrounds, um make your life together, helping all kinds of people in all kinds of ways that are not specifically religious. Yeah. Um, and uh, so play therapy and date nights and counseling and, you know, so many things that are such contributions. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I think all that is really, really, it's such an incredible um, identity to have historically, I think, honestly. And then also, um, the way these things all intertwine and the realism also that you have, I think is really important that you sort of say things are what they are about people a lot of the time. And I think that's a really important aspect of the transformation conversation. It is oft, often idealistic, the ways that we think, you know, we discuss socially what's going on and we need to be more realistic. But um, anyway, this intertwining of these different, so many different things before the rest of society got there, you know, again, like, um, now pastors go do yoga retreats you know and in the 90s that was considered anti-christian or something like that and yeah and so you suspect. all were there in the you know in many ways for such a long time and 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 so to tie this to back to where you, i think you sort of were the you know the dinners and things like that there's a social aspect here that is also feeding and and nourishing and um growing the feminism and this engagement in art and culture and conversation and like you said the 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 four c's are Mm -hmm. about this bigger identity you know engaging in the complexities and the nooks and crannies of relationships that have to be cleaned out or aligned or you know realigned Um, all of these things that are some people would say work, but also, um, you know, the work, like you were saying, we're sort of called to learn to love, or something like that. Seems to be what you you have arrived at now, and you still experience this in so many different ways.
1: That's uh, true. You mentioned Jean Houston, and um, in I, we brought her to Kingsville back when she was um, she was working with the Carter administration, going around the country. um, Eventually she did uh, huge, she always teaches with uh, myth and story. So she was going around the country doing the Wizard of Oz and we were creating a new society uh, going down the yellow brick road. But when she came to Kingsville, she was not that well-known. She had written one book called Life Force. So I got to know Jean in her beginnings and and began to do mystery school with her, where we would go eight weekends a year to um, Center and explore everything from science fiction to um, Actually, we, we read the Bible as science fiction, and that's a fun thing to do.
0: Yeah, the sort of thought experiment idea about your yeah. own beliefs.
1: Yeah, and really moving into the humanity. And I'd say the big thing that out of it all is still the mystery of what love is. The teachings of jesus and the experimentations of the human race in the avenues of relationship Um, that's still uppermost always in my mind is to ask Jean taught me to ask two questions of people who are you really and what could you be and she um she brought the word um uh, now blocking, I can't say it, but it's it's like there's a dynamic purposiveness of each individual human being that's equal to a whole universe. And to take you to your best self to express intelligent is the word I was trying to recover. Uh that means the you of you that is the God-Self. the sort of
0: essential intelligence that is in in a way blocked or um, polluted or traumatized.
1: It's unique unique with each person. So that and learning strength psychology with the idea that uh, humans don't change that much so we might as well draw out what's good in them. So I don't do um, remediation at all. It's more developmental. Um, Paul's um, work with children was they are persons. Each little child is a person to be unfolded, not molded.
0: I love so- that uh, to, to jump there. Um, that That representation of transformation, that it is about sort of getting into the right self and moving forward, you know.
1: New formations that transcend the old. And consequently, it's a matter of learning. And so if everything you know could be put in a circle, the more you learn, the bigger the circumference of the circle. And so at this stage of my life, I have, um, I moved all my books and they were like visiting old friends. Um And now I know I know nothing. (laughs) It's like the more I've learned, the more I know I don't know.
0: (laughs) You just have more questions. That's right. Yeah. I know that you know a whole lot is what I mean by that.
1: (laughs) But that keeps me going. And um, especially the study of the unconscious mind and the world of dreams that that unconscious kind of comes through in our dream world. That's very fascinating to me. And I've been uh, researching for the last 10 years um, life after death from Raymond Moody's book way back when he first wrote that. And so that's fascinating to me. There's a scientist in uh, Tucson at the University of Arizona who has now... And he was total agnostic skeptic, but his work has convinced him. He says I'm 99.9999% certain that the unconscious uh, the the body dies, but consciousness does not. So that's been interesting in my 90s to sink my teeth into some of that. Been fun. <laughs>
0: To go down that rabbit trail just slightly, um, because I think people do struggle with that, um, my generation, I think, was kind of emerged into that, you know, so what is going on uh, mm-hmm. in a different way than the fire and brimstone times of you know hundred years earlier kind of. And so it is certainly feasible that um, when a you know this unmeasurable uh, life force which George Lucas calls the force in star Wars, perhaps, but this unmeasurable life force thing that's in quantum physics, perhaps, you know, in the behavioral aspect of these little particles, when it's no longer inside of a body a physical body, you know, where does my spirit go? Well, if it is a, um, a composition of some sort, you know, the idea of reincarnation, the idea of native American idea that the, um, the elders are in the winds, you know, um, These kinds of, or the idea of, um, the day of the dead in Mexico, for instance, you know, just right down the street here from Texas, um, people in Mexico can literally see their dead relatives, you know, and on and on and on the the different cultures have different relationships with this, um, big, enormous question. So I think it's just obvious that like, there's a lot of things happening, you know, there's a lot of things happening. We can't explain all of it. And, um, It's highly likely that the thing we can't measure dissipates differently out of my body than out of your body when you pass away, you know, and so I may be a full on Casper, the friendly ghost, and you may be just a little bunch of moisture in the (laughs) ether, you know, a cloud that disperses, you know, into fine particles and all everywhere in between um, in this kind of what is the essence of the life force thing? What is that? What is that stuff? I don't think we'll ever know
1: in this plane, whatever this plane is.